my good people. How are you? What's happening? What's going on? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well wherever you are and that your Monday's off to a fantastic start as I deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports on a platinum platter here on the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. For my first timers, thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content. Greatly appreciate it. As I hope you come back for many, many more in the weeks and months to come. So welcome aboard. And for those who've been with me on this journey from episode 1 to now 86, I welcome you guys back. Again, it's a Monday, August the 19th in the year of our Lord 2019. Here's what I have on tap. Lots of NFL news and notes, some injuries as we prepare for week 3 in the preseason, which a lot of the regulars will start performing, not only just a series, but more than likely a quarter, a half, maybe even more, as we're just 17 days away from the NFL season beginning. And then to think, people, as fast as summer is flying, You're probably wondering, when does the college football season start? Well, believe it or not, it is Saturday. That's right. Miami and Florida will kick off the college football season. So if you're jonesing for any type of football, you're just days away from that. Some NBA news and notes, in particular, DeMarcus Cousins. He will be on the shelf for 2019 as he tears his ACL. But you won't believe who they may be thinking of bringing in for reinforcements who actually played on the Lakers many years ago. So you get my take on that. But as we get that much more closer to the end of the month and the baseball season gets a little bit deeper, we're about 38 to 40 games from October. What's hotter than the weather, whether you're in the Northeast or in the South, Midwest, wherever you may be, is the NL wildcard race. Right now you have five teams jockeying for two positions. And really, in the Central, both teams are tied for first where the Cardinals right now are just percentage points ahead of the Chicago Cubs. So that's going to be the storyline here pretty much for the next six weeks because in the AL, although you have Oakland and Tampa and Cleveland going at it, but you're certainly not going to have the drama. You're not going to have the edge of your seat, scoreboard watching, thrilling baseball that you're going to get from the National League. And front and center of all that, of course, are my beloved Mets where if I told you last week that the Mets would have a 3-3 and road trip, whether they would lose two out of three in Atlanta and win two out of three in Kansas City just barely, Of course, you would sign for it. You take for it. You want to win series. As I've said time and time again, the more you win series, the better off off you're going to be as far as making making it to the postseason. And here we are as the Mets ready to embark on a nine-game homestand and actually play 19 of the next 25 at home. And they'll close the season 26 of 38, which they've played a lot much more better at Citi Field, surprisingly, than they have on the road. But the challenge ahead is very daunting considering the teams that they're going to play. But before we get into that, I want to recap this week briefly, considering that the manager, if you heard my podcast a couple weeks ago, me talking about the Mets being sucked in, the three critical components for this team, if they're going to make it to the postseason, one being the schedule, two being the closer, and in the middle there, or however you want to shake down the order, is the manager. And even though they lost that first game against Atlanta there Tuesday night, but the explanation of pulling Steven Matz and bringing in Seth Lugo was mind-boggling, to say the least. I I still can't decipher why he decided to pull out Steven Matz after 79 pitches, and despite the fact that he got a base hit and did run the bases in that inning, that he thought, let's bring in Seth Lugo, who, let's face it, is their best reliever right now, even more so than Edwin Diaz, as we all know. But for him to bring in Lugo 
where a lot of the reports were that he wasn't even ready to come into the game considering that Mats was on the base paths and pretty much his decision was so on the fly and by the seat of his pants that he just went with his gut and decided to bring in Lugo who got pounded for five runs and I believe a third of an inning. And it just made you think that as much as you want to root for this team, and I always root for this team, and the big question was not only me being sucked in as a fan, but do you trust this team? And when the manager makes a decision like that, you figure that this would just spiral out of control as far as the rest of this road trip. Because in typical Met fashion, that's how it's been, not only just for this year at times, but also throughout the last four, five, or six years, notwithstanding the 2015 run and also the 2016 run to the wildcard game. But when the Mets were able to pull out the game on Thursday, salvage that series, they had a 10-2 lead, Peter Alonso mashing the ball all over the place, and we'll get to him in a little bit. But then again, you had a situation with the manager brings in Drew Gagne in the ninth inning. He probably gives up three home runs in that inning, and he actually called his efforts a great job. I, I don't know what else to say. I, it's, Mickey Calloway is drinking that blue and orange Kool-Aid. And I understand that he has those moments where he can be candid and he can be, for lack of a better word, makes sense. But I don't know what's going on in his brain. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know if he's just super confident, overconfident, whatever it may be. But for him to actually look at Drew Gagneau and say that he pitched well in that performance... He must be watching a different game than I am. But you had to sweat, fight tooth and nail. Yes, I almost had a an emergency podcast if the Mets would have blown that game and lost it because it would have come off the hands of a sweep going into Kansas City. But thankfully, they were able to win that game. And then they lose the first game. Noah Syndergaard was, eh. I know his numbers look fine, but at the same time, the offense was pretty much on them. They didn't produce and then you're thinking to yourself, if they lose one of these next two games and come home with a 2-4 and four road trip, and especially with the way they've beaten up on the Padres, with the way they've beaten up on the Pirates, with the way they've beaten up on the White Sox, the Marlins, etc., there was no way that this team could have gone into the Kansas City and lose two out of three. Well, they bounced back nicely. The Saturday game behind Jacob deGrom. And then yesterday, even with Conforto hitting that three-run homer to start the game, The Royals then take the lead, and you're going into that seventh inning thinking that, man, if the Mets don't score here, and you could see them probably getting a little tight, and somehow, someway, the Royals will tack on a run or two, and then the next thing you know, they lose a 6-3 game. They come home with this aforementioned homestand, which is not going to be easy, as they have Cleveland, Atlanta, and the Chicago Cubs on the docket. But thankfully, as I take a deep breath, the Mets were able to slug it out in that seventh inning. They put up six runs. The capper was Alonzo's 40th home run, which is now the all-time NL rookie record for a regular season as he eclipsed Cody Bellinger of two years ago, of course, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who had 39 in that year. And the Mets come home, winning two out of three, three and three, which is pretty much what you expected because if they would have won a series in Atlanta, it would have been shocking. Whether it's Turner Field or even now here the SunTrust Park, the Mets seem to not have any type of luck when they play in Atlanta. And if you're a Met fan, even with Alonzo's heroics, you still have to wonder the health of Jeff McNeil. Remember, he had a hamstring pull there, especially in that game late. Uh, I believe it was on Tuesday night. No, actually it was on uh, the Wednesday night game. So you got to worry about him 
bouncing back. And remember, you had another second baseman who was on the IL who tore his hamstring. And we don't know whether we're going to see Robinson Cano at all this year, although he says yes, that uh, he will be seen in uniform playing at some point. But the Mets need to get McNeil back. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. But Rosario has stepped up his game. He's now batting 291. This was a guy that was batting 230, it seemed, in mid-May. And now he has certainly progressed and grown up right in front of our eyes, so good for him. J.D. Davis, of course, has been phenomenal with the bat. And I understand he doesn't really have a position considering that he's pretty much in there for his stick. But again, when you don't have a lot of depth, when you start losing players here and there and you got to piece it with players who are out of position, it's going to be certainly very challenging and very daunting to try to not only get yourselves in the race, which the Mets have done, but to try to inch closer, to try to get ahead and hopefully be one of those two wildcard teams in the National League. It's certainly going to take a team effort. And by that, doesn't mean that it's going to be all on Alonzo's shoulders or all on Conforto's back. You're going to have to have some players, whether it is the Luis Guillermes of the world, even Joe Panic who had three hits. Those are going to be the guys that are going to have to fill in admirably for the guys like McNeil and guys like Cano, who certainly, now of course we know Cano's not had a good year, but it's going to take everybody on this roster to put forth maximum efforts in order for them to make it to the postseason, let alone get one of those two spots. And right now, do I trust this team? Of course, I'm going to tell you, as I did two weeks ago, no, I do not. And this schedule is going to be a challenge for this team. And you could talk about the pitching, and we could talk about how their starters and their offense has been very good, but not every night they're going to be scoring five, six, seven, eight runs. And the bullpen... You got Robert Gazelman now who's on the shelf here with a bicep injury. They recalled Walker Lockett. We'll see how he performs. I certainly don't have a lot of trust in him, and rightfully so. But the Mets are going into a critical part here, and with the five teams that I mentioned before, pretty much six teams that are in the mix for these wild card spots, the Mets have the toughest schedule. And even with all these games at home, which is fine and dandy, but Cleveland, who... Played here over the weekend against the Yankees and were able to get a split there. So they're here for pretty much an entire week, which is a uh, which is a rarity when you think about it, that you have a team that stays in town for a week that Cleveland has done here over the course of the weekend and now into this part of the week. Then you have Atlanta coming back. Then the Cubs coming in. And the Cubs have their own bullpen issues, which hopefully the Mets can capitalize on. And even the starting pitching hasn't been great. But then you have to go on the road to Philly, then to Washington over the Labor Day weekend, and then they come back to play Philly again, Arizona for four, who, although they're on the outside here, I believe right now they're four and a half back in the wild card, but they're still in contention here. And then they got to play the Dodgers. So with this 19 of 25 at home, you know it's not as if the Marlins are coming into town or you're not going to see the Pirates again. You're going to see the Reds later on in September, but that's in Cincinnati. So a lot of the dregs of the National League, the Mets aren't going to really face here. So the challenge is right staring them in the forehead. And for them to earn this sucker, they're going to have to play their best baseball. Just because we saw that stretch, whatever it was, 20-6, and that brought them to where they are right now, well, guess what? They're going to have to play even better here over the course. We'll just say over the course of the next 25 games, this homestand stretch, well, they only have six games on the road over the next month. And let's see what they can do. 
Cleveland's not going to be an easy task here. As you see, you know, they put up 19 runs on the Yankees. I understand there was Chad Green who started the game. They had their opener. First time, I believe the Yankees have been bombed when they used Chad Green as an opener. And then they bounced back nicely yesterday. The Indians, that is. So that's not going to be a cakewalk. We know about Atlanta. And obviously the Cubs, who are fighting for first place in the NL Central. So let's see what happens here, Mets fans. And let's see what happens here with the Mets. Now, Alonzo, uh, what could you say about this guy? Uh, I've said it time and time again. Him, and especially with Jeff McNeil, and hopefully he'll come back. You would think probably beginning of next week, or maybe even over the weekend. Let's see, if he was on Wednesday, i will probably be back next week against the Cubs, hopefully 100% or close to it. But the Mets right now, even with the way Alonzo's been raking, and I get that I've gotten some flack on uh, Facebook from uh, some of the, uh, my people who were thinking that Alonzo's hit the rookie wall, that the home run derby jinx was in full effect considering he hit 177, although he did have six home runs in July. But now he's been mashing the ball. He's hitting about 350. He's certainly been getting big hits left and right. Uh, right now, I believe he has 95 RBIs to go along with his 40 home runs. And he actually has an outside shot to not only hit 50 home runs, but maybe even, dare I say, break the all-time rookie record for home runs in a season that was set two years ago by Aaron Judge. He's had that type of season, and why not? If he can continue to stay healthy and continue to rake the ball the way he has, uh, anything is possible. Now, are we going to can he hit 50 home runs? Yes, he can. And to think he's only one home run and really two home runs from breaking the all-time Met record, which was set by Todd Hundley and Carlos Beltran, which he will definitely do, barring, God forbid, any debilitating injury. Can he hit 50? I think he can. Will he hit 50? It's going to be close. I get with September call-ups and pitchers that are, you know, that he hasn't faced before. Who knows? Uh, But how I look at it is, as much as I would like to see that, I just want the team to win. Because the individual records are great. And yes, it would be fantastic if he somehow, ways, gets to 50 and eclipses Aaron Judge's record. But what would you rather have? You'd rather make in the postseason and he hits 42 home runs and breaks the uh, the franchise record or have him hit 51, 52, whatever it is, how many home runs. And then next thing you know, the Mets are on the outside looking in and we'll see you in 2020. So that's what it boils down to. And let's see what the Mets can do here over the course of the next nine games, really over the course of the next six games, because we'll be here next week to talk about and recap what these six games ahead are going to look like for the Mets. And uh, City Field should be rocking. It should be packed. Definitely this weekend with Atlanta coming to town, you would think. Cleveland, obviously the Indians are going to be a formidable opponent. And with the Cub fan, you'd think a lot of the Cub faithful will come in as they have been over the years to City Field. So it should be very interesting and very exciting baseball here in New York, especially for the Mets, as they continue to push for the NL wildcard race. Now, this weekend was just absolutely crazy when you look at the wildcard race, especially in Washington with Milwaukee and the Nats. You had that game there on Saturday where they won a 15-14 game, the Brewers, that is, in 14 innings, where they took the lead both in extra innings until they were able to secure it there in that 14th inning. And then yesterday, they lose 16-8 to behind eight home runs, where you had Anthony Rendon, who's looking like an MVP candidate in the, uh, of course, National League. So the Nationals were able to take two out of three to keep their lofty spot there in the 
top of the NL wildcard race, the Brewers being two back, the Phillies who entertained the Padres over the weekend, and the Padres have certainly underachieved to the point where they had to put their prized rookie in his own right, Fernando Tatis Jr. on the shelf due to a bad back. But they lose two out of three to the Padres, the Phillies that is, and that's tough. You know, you got to beat these bad teams. The teams that are below you, you certainly got to take advantage of whomever it is on your schedule. So that was certainly to the Mets' benefit as they're tied with the Phillies there, as well as the Brewers. 64, oh, as a matter of fact, let me take that back. As I look at the standings here in the wild card, you have the Nationals that we've talked about having the top spot. We know that. The Cubs, who are 66 and 58. And then you have Milwaukee, Philly, and the Mets all tied at 64 and 62 games behind. And when you look at the schedule this coming week, the Nationals go to Pittsburgh for four games to play the Pirates. And the Pirates, well, they're going to be at home. Let's see what they do. Hopefully they'll play spoiler to these teams that are in contention. Remains to be seen. But then the Nats go to Chicago over the weekend. So before the Cubs come to New York to play the Mets, they'll be hosting the Nationals, which will be a very interesting series out of Wrigley. The Brewers will be hosting... Excuse me, as a matter of fact, they'll be at St. Louis to play the Cardinals. So if you're a Met fan, one of those two teams will get knocked off. You want to pretty much root for the Cardinals because they're ahead. So you want the Brewers to lose. And then they're going to go play the Diamondbacks at home to wrap up the week. As we talked about the Cardinals, they'll be hosting not only the Brewers, but also Colorado at the end of the week if you're looking at the Cardinals schedule. And then the Phillies will play two in Boston We've gotten a little wind under their sails thanks to the Orioles coming to town and sweeping them. They've won five in a row, but they still have a long way to go as far as the AL wildcard's concerned, but not going to be easy games for the Phillies as they go up to Fenway for two before going on to Miami for three. It is going to be fast and furious, my guys all and gals, all the way to the final finish. Let's just hope that the Mets will just still be part of this race and still play relevant games, you would think even just being two games back. But as we all know, can you trust this team? As I've said time and time again, remains to be seen. But that's what you got there as far as the National League is concerned. So it's going to be fascinating, to say the least. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? In the American League, we'll get to that right now. Because in the National League East, you had the Braves five and a half up on the Nationals. So they have a comfortable lead. Certainly not the 19-game lead that the Dodgers have in the NL West. As we know, that's been a foregone conclusion for quite some time. And as we talked about the Central with the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Cubs, pretty much in a logjam there. But the Cubs and Cardinals certainly are at the top spot, which is percentage points separating them. And uh, we'll certainly continue to keep our eyes on that. The wild card in the American League, certainly not as thrilling, as I said at the top, with Cleveland just one game ahead of Tampa. 74 and 51 are the Indians, 73 and 52 are the Rays, and then the Oakland Athletics, 71 and 53, a game and a half behind Tampa. Interesting thing is that Oakland, who hosted Houston over the weekend and won three out of four, they were actually going to go for the sweep yesterday, but they were not able to do that. They salvaged the final game, the Astros, that is. So that would have been an interesting four game sweep and certainly would have made things interesting in the AL West, but that's not the case because the Astros have a, now I believe it's a seven-game lead. Seven in the loss and six in the, or is it six and a half? Let me just double check. Yes, it's a seven and a half game lead that they have. 
and it's actually seven in the loss. So they certainly averted a little bit of a disaster, although they do have a big enough cushion that they won't have to worry about the Oakland A's, but the A's are certainly trying to nibble at the Rays' feet to get that second wild card, and even the first for that matter. And that's all you pretty much have. The Red Sox, you certainly can't look at them right now because even with this five-game winning streak that they've had, they are now six and a half games back, seven in the loss to Tampa. I don't know how many games they have left for Tampa. I'd have to look at that. But we all know that they've played a bunch of games already, so they may have one series, maybe two series left. I'll certainly take a look at that and uh, bring that to you next week as far as what the Rays have schedule-wise, as well as Oakland. As you know, I'm keeping the tabs of what's happening in the National League, so I'll make sure to have all that taken care of as far as the wildcard scenarios, both in the ALNL with schedules, etc. as we get deeper into this month. And again, just six weeks away from October. Ugh. Where's the summer going? It's just flying by. Enjoy it, people. Well, anyway, I digress. That's pretty much what you have with the baseball. As far as uh, any other news and notes, that, that's pretty much it that I could see here. Yankees, real quick. Right now, all you're concerned, as I've said time and time again, is the starting pitching. You know, James Paxson was a great the other day, but he won the game. Jay Happ, you're nervous about. CC only gave you three innings yesterday. You can't fully trust CC. Tanaka was able to win the game Friday night. Of course, you're going to trust him. Domingo Herman, eh, we got to see October. I mean, he's had 16 wins. He's had a very good regular season. Had an IL stint, but certainly has performed well above what the Yankees were certainly expecting. And who knows if you're going to have a Luis Severino sighting come September or even a Dellen Patanza sighting as well. That certainly remains to be seen. But as we all know, it's about the starting pitching with this team. They have the bats. They have the mashers, even without Stanton in the lineup. And all the Yankee fans that I've talked to, and I talked to a bunch of them yesterday, and they're diehard Yankee fans. There aren't the, what I call the 96 and on Yankee fans. With the way the team is constructed, and with the way these players have performed, the Mike Talkmans, the Cameron Mabins, the Gio Rochellas of the world, they have certainly been endearing to the Yankee fan that they don't even want any part of Stanton coming back. And that's the sad part here because Stanton's going to be on this team for the next eight years. We, all, we understand he only has about 30-something at-bats. We get what he did last year, especially in October which was typical Stanton fashion or typical fashion of a player that's making a ton of money, a la you look at the wild card game against the A's when they had a 7-2 lead and he hits the solo home run to make it 8-2. And then when the money's on the line, that bottom of the ninth inning, game four, down 4-3, runners on first and second, Stanton comes up, and what does he do? He strikes out. The Yankee fan does not want Stanton anywhere near Yankee Stadium. And it's going to be tough because once he's healthy and ready to play, Sadly, he's going to be inserted in the lineup. That's all there is to it. So everybody that's going to be begging for the Mike Talkmans of the world or you know those type of players, Cameron Mabin, yeah, it's all fine and dandy now. And as I said last week on the pod, but I understand you don't want Stanton in there, but Talkman, he's not going to be the answer either because those lights are going to shine that much more brighter. And those players, I don't think, are going to perform up to the back of the baseball card here in 2019. They're just not. Because Gio Urshela, for all that he's done here throughout this year, would you be surprised that he goes one for 15 with nine strikeouts in a DS against Cleveland or in a DS against Oakland or whoever it may be? You wouldn't be surprised. 
And that goes for the same for Cameron Maben or Mike Talkman or even let's I'm going to put his name out there also. I get he's an MVP candidate. I get he's been by far the best player on this team throughout the course of the year. But DJ LeMahieu, I need to see that in a big spot too. And it's not to say he hasn't come up clutch this year because he has. Runners in scoring position, uh, runners in scoring position with two outs, all these RBIs that he's had, I get it. But you could do this between now and September 30th and have MVP, MVP numbers. But you go two for 13 and hit it to three double plays and strike out six times, nobody's going to care what you did in the regular season. So I just got to keep that in mind. But the starting pitching, that's where it's at, people. And let's see if Severino is any progress going to be made there. I did read a report that he's actually said that he felt great for what that's worth. What does that mean? Does that mean he's going to pitch September 1st? Does that mean he's going to be back next week? Does that mean he's going to be back to start a few games? Obviously, it remains to be seen. So that's pretty much what you have there with the Yankees. And as far as the upcoming series, and I'm surprised it's not getting a lot of press or a lot of talk. I don't know, I don't know what it is. And I haven't really followed a lot of the broadcasts. I know Michael Kay's back in the mix. And, geez, it was so good to hear Ryan Rucco than Michael Kay. And I won't get into Michael Kay, but... It's tough to watch Yankee games with him announcing these games, as I've said time and time again. But this Yankee-Dodger series, a lot of people are going to look at it as a precursor to a possible World Series preview. They're also going to look at it as two of the best teams in baseball going at it, you know, one another. And we understand it's all about October. We understand that the regular season doesn't matter. But Yankees and Dodgers, from a historical standpoint, please, I don't even need to bring it up. And on top of that, it's just a good barometer to see where you match up against this team. Because even as a Yankee fan, despite the fact that your starting pitching is going to be great, and I don't know who the matchups are going to be right off the top of my head. I should have taken a look at that before I got on here. But if the Yankees are going to look at this series as as a barometer, I'm sure they're going to see how they match up against the Dodger team. And again, you only play them once every three years. You pretty much go out there once every six years. Because the last time the Dodgers played the Yankees, they were at Yankee Stadium. And I'm just surprised that it hasn't been a lot more hoopla surrounding these two franchises and what they've done this year. And obviously from a historical standpoint and all the World Series that they played against one another. And again, I get nobody cares about 1955, Brooklyn Dodgers, and same for 56, and Don Larson, and 77, 78, 81. I get that. A lot of people are going to look at that and be like, yeah, but that was 100 years ago. Who cares? Well, it does care when you're into baseball and you're into the history of the sport and the history of these franchises. And because they don't play that often, you know, once every three years. And then on top of that, for them to face off this year when they could potentially face off at the end of the year in the final series of this baseball season, it does make for a fascinating storyline. And for it not to get a lot of the pub and the press, uh, I'm just a little surprised by that. And I've been talking about this for weeks if you listen to this podcast. Because, again, I get it. With the Yankees, it's about October. But to me, even three weeks ago when they swept the Red Sox out of Yankee Stadium, I said the only series that's going to be worth noting and worth watching are these three games upcoming against the Dodgers. So I've been talking about this for weeks. This isn't something I just woke up today and said, hey, let me talk... Let's talk Yankees-Dodgers. No. Star power galore. The historical. I, everything that I've said. So we'll see what happens. I don't know what's, if, if the Yankees are going to win two out of three. If the Dodgers two out of three. 
Dodgers sweep, Yankees sweep. I, I don't know. I don't know the pitching matchups. And at the end of the day, does it really matter? Even if the Yankees do sweep, Dodgers, two out of three, whatever it is? No, but you want to see how these teams face off against one another. And, of course, that's going to be 55,000 all three games at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, that you know right off the bat. I'm sure that's a, the hottest ticket in L.A. right now. So we'll see how that goes. As the Yankees embark on a West Coast trip, they go to Oakland to start off, which is interesting because they haven't played Oakland yet this year. So this is their first time they get a chance to see the green and yellow of the Oakland Athletics. Then off to La La Land, and I believe they go to Seattle before they come home for a quick homestand, and then they're back on the road into September. So that's it with the baseball. As I uh, turn my attention to the NFL and lots of stuff going on off the field with the NFL. I'll get to Roger Goodell and the Jay-Z deal in a second. The first thing I ought to talk about, and before I even get to the injuries, if you're Dak Prescott, why not ask for the sun, moon, and stars? I guess the best thing they could say is no. But for him to come out and say that he's worth $40 million when you have a running back that right now is holding out, and actually, the backup is actually doing well. He's actually performed well to the point where even Jerry Jones came out and said, Zeke who? But when Dak Prescott asked for $40 million, I mean, come on. Dak, I get it. I understand that you're a fourth-round pick and that you've superseded your what you're worth as far as coming into this league and what you've done, et cetera. We get that. But for him to be paid amongst the likes of Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, there's no way. I'm sorry. He's going to get paid a pretty penny. But if Dak Prescott is asking for $40 million, what do you think Patrick Mahomes is going to ask for when his contract is up? So uh, that's all we need to talk about there. Uh, that's Jerry Jones' problem to deal with. So that's one thing the Cowboy fans I know are going to be sweating a little bit to see what the uh, game of chicken, how that's going to last. And bad enough that you have the running back out, but now if the quarterback's going to feel like he's going to be neglected and not feel that he's worth being a part of this future, then who knows how that's going to mess up his psyche. That remains to be seen. But as far as the injuries that are taking place, Avery Williamson, who is an inside linebacker for the Jets, tears his ACL. Adam Gaze even admitted that he kept him in a little bit too long in the game. So sadly, he won't be performing here in 2019 as the Jets are looking to take that next step of relevance in the league with all the acquisitions and the new coach and everything, the new uniforms, you want to throw that in the mix. So you had that situation going on. Then the Chargers lose a very key member of their defense, the safety Derwin James, who was an all-pro in his rookie year. He had to get surgery for a fifth metatarsal from a stress fracture, so he's not back until at least November. So that is a tough blow for that team as they look to try to even take the next step for themselves after what they accomplished last year. So you got that to deal with if you're a Charger fan. Of course, speaking, keeping to the AFC West, the Antonio Brown circus still continues, and thankfully he's long gone from Pittsburgh. We talked about that helmet issue last week, and of course the cryotherapy incident that he had with his feet. I'm sure you've seen it on Hard Knocks. I did watch the first episode on Hard Knocks, and it is entertaining, but... I, don't, I didn't watch the second episode, which I know Antonio Brown shows his feet to the camera and all that, whatever, but I can't get wrapped up in all that. I mean, I love football, and come September 5th, I'll be there, but right now, 
If it happens to be on, I'll watch it, but I'm certainly not going to run to the set to watch it. But anyway, going back to Antonio Brown, more so the comments made by GM Mike Mayock, and this is his first GM job, so good for him for taking a stand and not towing the company line and be like, oh, we want Antonio to be here, and whenever he's ready, no, they pretty much said to him, you're either in or you're out. So find that helmet, take care of it, and even if you can't find that helmet, you're still going to have to wear a helmet, the newer approved league-wide type helmet that I talked about last week on the podcast, and if not, then take a hike. So, And that's all there is to it. So good for Mayock for doing that. We'll see what shakes down in Oakland camp as far as what Antonio Brown's going to do. I know Drew Rosenhaus' agent had come out and said, yes, he is all in. He's getting everything together. He will show up shortly, blah, blah, blah. But that's just, if you're a Raider fan, you cannot be happy with that. I just, And I know Gruden, he hasn't really said much about that. He's pretty much been tight-lipped. So I'm sure he's been aggravated with what's gone on there with his wide receiver. So, hey, better than than us and as it was. A lot of it did happen with uh, the Steelers, especially in the last year, as it had been well chronicled on this podcast. But uh, one last thing before, or two things before I get to uh, Goodell in the NFL. Now with the preseason games going into this third week, and generally that third week is the tune-up for the regular season because the fourth week of the preseason games, that is just pretty much a walkthrough. That's when you have the backups to the backups to the backups perform. But now, here in New York, no Le'Veon Bell. Adam Gase did say that Le'Veon Bell will not suit up and participate in any of these preseason games, which I understand. You don't want your running back to get hurt. But remember, there's a guy who hasn't played in, what, 20-some-odd months. But you're going to see a lot of that. Or a lot of the starters, they may not go. Technically, they used to go into the third quarter in these games. But now, are they going to go a quarter? Are they going to go a half? One of the reasons why you have such poor performances in the first two, three games of the season, whether it's penalties, offsides, delay of games, things of that nature, is because the quality of play has just suffered because of what takes place in the preseason. A lot of the starters don't get the game action. They don't get a ton of reps. And with this being the third game and them not wanting to get their players injured, it's a tough course of action when you're trying to see what you have in your players going into the season and you want to go in as crisp as possible. You want to try to get your team well-oiled and balanced and raring to go, but when you don't perform or when you're not on the field, then how do you expect to get that? So it is a tough line to make sure you go all in, especially on this third game, whether you give them the full half or go into the third quarter knowing that you do risk injury or do you hold these guys back knowing that, hey, I'm just going to, rev them up in practice and get them as game speed ready as possible, ready for a regular season. It really is tough. I mean, what could you say? So we'll see what happens here. You hope there isn't a slew of injuries that handicap a lot of these teams throughout the course of the league because this is where I'm sure a lot of GMs and coaches hold their breaths knowing that they got to get their players reps here in this third preseason game, but you just never know. So we'll certainly uh, keep our eyes glued to that, especially next week after this uh, weekend of games and see where the chips will fall when it comes to player health once week three concludes. Then you have this Roger Goodell, Jay-Z, Rock Nation deal. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I'm really not. 
But I'm going to put my thoughts out there and my opinion, and I'll try to keep this to two minutes because what this is all about, people, and let's face it, it's about the almighty dollar. Roger Goodell, as we all know, it's about money. It's about the green. It's about the cash. That's all he wants to do for these owners, and that's all he wants to do for the shield. So when you partner with Jay-Z, and I know there was a lot of controversy surrounding, especially comments when it comes to the social injustice and the inequality of what's going on in this country and Jay-Z coming out and saying that this is going to be a platform for artists that are looking to try to make a name for themselves through Rock Nation, through the NFL, and through this uh, awareness program that's called, what is it, the uh, Inspire Change Initiative for Social Justice. That's pretty much what... this whole thing is about and what type of impact is this going to have on communities throughout the country who knows in fact I don't even think that there's going to be any type of impact now I understand you're not going to have NFL players or it's not as if Jay-Z is going to rally the troops to have whether it's alumni whether it's other artists recording artists rappers whatever you want to call it that are going to go in these cities and roll up their sleeves and do some sort of grassroots type of effort to bring awareness to the inner cities or to various communities throughout the course of this nation of ours. But when you look at what this proposal is, this is a platform for artists to not only create and distribute music content across multiple music and streaming services, but it's also to promote and market various live events including a Pro Bowl community concert, artist podcasts. You know, it's, it, that's pretty much what this joint venture is about. It's not about Jay-Z putting up the fist to say, hey, we're going into the Midwest, Ferguson, Missouri. We're going to go into other parts of the country where we know that there's a lot of social injustice or social unrest or inequality. This isn't about that. And even Eric Reed, the safety of the Carolina Panthers, who was a former teammate of Colin Kaepernick, he even said that this is all a money grab and that this is a joke. And I agree with him. And even though Jay-Z had, they danced around those topics and didn't really answer those type of hard questions saying, well, wait, what about Colin Kaepernick, me and Blackbolt and all that? And I understand that's not his place to answer that. And same for Goodell, because he's never going to answer that if his life depended on it. But what I look at here is just a joint venture between a mogul and Jay-Z, no doubt, and the most powerful sports league in the universe for them to just find ways to empower the league more than it already is because you can't make it even that much more popular and greater than it is, you know, as it is today and bringing the top artist or one of the top artists in the world to just to join forces to say, hey, we could use this or use each other to not only create and stream and put music out there for the masses, but also to inspire change by doing this. Well, what are some of those changes? What is going to happen? All right, you know, I've spent too much time on this already. So I said two minutes, and I think it's already been five minutes. But my, to wrap this up, it, to me, it's just a joke because unless we see some real change, unless we see some imprint on what's going on in these communities 
and what Jay-Z is backing, as well as the NFL and the commissioner, then all this is is just nonsense. So, I'm just going to leave it at that. And lastly, with the NFL, Cedric Benson, who was a former first-round pick, University of Texas, obviously was a All-American running back, died in a motorcycle crash yesterday, 36 years old, was a very good NFL player, played on the Bears, played on that Super Bowl team, Super Bowl 41, also played on the Bengals, had very productive years for the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, died in a motorcycle crash, just terrible. Obviously, a lot of thoughts and prayers going out to him, not only from his days at Texas, Vince Young tweeting, uh, a bunch of players, just a sad state of, state of uh, events there. And uh, again, thoughts, prayers, condolences, all that goes out to the Benson family. And uh, just a terrible tragedy there for the league as we're, again, just days away from the start of uh, an NFL season. And then as far as the NBA is concerned, real quick, DeMarcus Cousins, who tried to come back from that Achilles injuries that he suffered in New Orleans, as we all know, signed with Golden State, came back, certainly wasn't anywhere near his all-star former self. And we saw what happened there in the finals. He did not perform well. He did have one game in which he was effective, but certainly not the top 15 player that he once was. Signs with the Lakers, and then he tears his ACL in a workout out in Vegas. So what are the Lakers going to do to try to bring in some presence, especially from the front line? They're actually looking at Dwight Howard. As we all know, Dwight Howard, that experiment with the Lakers back in, what was it, 2012, 2013? That went awry, but of course, that was when Kobe Bryant was on the team, and we all know Kobe and Dwight certainly weren't best of buds and sharing Christmas cards at that time of year. So now you're going to bring Dwight Howard back for pretty much one last hurrah, because as we all know, since he left L.A. and he went to Houston, he's just been on a million teams, certainly as not the all-NBA player that he once was in Orlando, and certainly could have been an all-time great player, but I've said it time and time again, with the one Dwight Howard, and I'm not going to pick on him because here we are. He's won a latter part of his career and with injuries and everything that's gone on and just ineffective play. But for him, let's see if he could muster up enough for one season to try to push the Lakers to an NBA final, maybe win an NBA championship because that would be a nice cherry on top for a career that should have been an all-time career. With all the hype coming out of Atlanta, playing in Orlando, being a first-team All-NBA player and now is just a relic of an NBA player and I believe he's what 30 if I had to say off the top of my head he has to be 34 and look LeBron's 34 and LeBron is he's still at the peak of his powers and Dwight Howard is uh please he's probably 10% of that so we'll see if the Lakers do sign Dwight Howard and uh to try to not supplant but certainly replace DeMarcus Cousins, and it's sad. Sad that he tears his ACL. Uh, I like Cousins as a player, and we thought that maybe this one-year deal, he could bounce back, get his health back, his legs, and certainly have a killer year for a Laker team that has plenty of championship aspirations, but uh, it looks like it's going to have to wait another year, and who knows if he's ever going to be the same player again, considering he had an Achilles and now an ACL. Those are two debilitated, they're just killer injuries, especially for a big man, so... Uh, hopes and thoughts uh, and good vibes and energy sent to DeMarcus Cousins' way for a speedy recovery. And you also have Joseph Tsai, 
who now is 100% full owner of the Brooklyn Nets. The reason why I bring that up is because Mikhail Prokhorov was the owner who brought basketball to Brooklyn. And we all know what's gone on with Brooklyn ever since, especially now this offseason, bringing in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So Prokhorov will now say goodbye and hand over the reins to a Joseph Tsai. He's a guy that has made his money in uh, e-commerce with Alibaba. So for those who don't know him, he's uh, uh, Asian-American, I believe Korean, and uh, he is now the latest owner of an NBA team as he buys the Brooklyn Nets for a full $2.3 billion. So that's what you have there in the NBA, and that is pretty much it for this week's edition of the J-Rills Podcast, but I do have my hero and zero of the week, so I'll get right to it. The hero of the week is broadcaster Jack Whitaker. He died at the age of 95. That's right. He lived 95 years and had certainly seen a lot throughout the course of his career. He uh, had covered the first 21 Super Bowls. Jack Whitaker, of course, was on CBS for many years. He paired with Tom Brookshire there in the booth and covered a lot of those big Super Bowls, especially early on. And then went over to ABC. Wildwood Sports was known for his uh, commentary and essays covering major sporting events, whether it be golf events, the Olympics, etc., uh, obviously, he was a war hero as he uh, fought in World War II and passed away at the age of 95. So thoughts, again, more thoughts and prayers going out uh, to people that have passed. And in this case, it is Jack Whitaker, 95 years old. So uh, he is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, you know what? I also got I would have put him as a hero, the manager of the Atlanta Braves. But the, hero, the zero is going to be Ronald Acuna Jr., and I like him as a player. To me, if I were to start a baseball team today, right now, I would pick him as my number one player. I know people would say, whoa, hey, what are you saying? What about Mike Trout? Yeah, I understand Mike Trout, but he's 28 years old. And even though he still has plenty of baseball left, but Acuna Jr. is 21, and he has his whole baseball life ahead of him. But what he did yesterday when he hit that fly ball to right field and he would just pimping it with the bat in his hand, holding it up to the sky, walking to first base, and then he drops the bat halfway through where he should have been on second base, ended up being on first base. And mind you, at that time, they were losing 3 nothing to the Atlanta Braves. I'm sorry, to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And what happened? Acuna Jr. was pulled from the game and sent to the showers early. So I could have used Brian Snicker, the manager of the Atlanta Braves, as my hero of the week. But, I, of course, I had to give Jack Whitaker his due. But Acuna Jr. should have known better. And I guess I get he's a young player, and we understand it's all about the bat flips and it's all about styling at home play in this day and age. I get that. But, yeah, he should have known better. He should have been on second base. And kudos to Snicker for pulling Acuna Jr. out. And also got to give credit to Acuna Jr. in this regard that he understood why. But he should have known better. He should have been on second base. I understand you can maybe stand there for the first couple of moments, but when you see Bellinger going back to the wall and knowing that that wall in right field it's not a green monster by any stretch, but it's certainly not a, a wall where it's seven feet where you know the ball's going to clear the fence. That's a wall where it's about whatever, 20-so, some odd feet high. It's brick wall. He should have known better and been on second base, but that is my zero of the week, and let's see. Watch. With that being said, he'll run out every ball at City Field this coming week. He'll go seven for 15, two home runs, two doubles, three triples, and, uh, yeah, I'll be eating my words come next Monday. So that's it uh, for this week, people. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much again for downloading and listening to this podcast, and I sincerely and greatly appreciate it. 
But if I may ask you, as I do each and every week, to please not only leave a review, also subscribe, post a rating, do whatever it takes to add your participation to this podcast because all that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast amongst the many, 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 many others that are out there in these, not only the sports universe, but the uh, podcast universe. And that'll generate more interest with uh, hopefully future guests, whether it be broadcasters, former or current athletes, fingers crossed, bloggers, writers, etc., whoever it may be. And your participation is certainly of the utmost uh, importance. So uh, I would appreciate if you go ahead and do that on the various podcast platforms that you may listen to, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, iHeartRadio, all those people. So please, if I may ask you to do that, just take a matter of minutes. Uh, just hit subscribe, leave a rating, post a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you know, if you need to send a question, comment, criticism, of praise, whatever it may be, you could do so on any of my social media platforms, whether it be Instagram, J Reels, Twitter, J Reels One, just the number, the J Reels Podcast fan page on Facebook, and the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please feel free to reach out to me with whatever's on your mind. I would sincerely appreciate that as I deliver nothing but passionate sports talk for you guys each and every week, whether it's on the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the j podcast, on the flip, baby.